Hey, good morning, Cornerstone. How is everybody doing? Come on, this is the loud, the rowdy crowd, right? My name is uh, Scott Rogers, and I'm thrilled to be back with you guys again. I want to welcome all of you that are joining us online, and uh, those of you here in Chandler, Arizona. I mean, I am stoked to be with you guys again. We are standing at the end of 2013. So many things in life seem to be measured not by how they start, but how they finish. And here we stand at the end of 2013 and we look back. Gosh, I think just looking globally around our world, 2013 was such a year of triumph and tragedy. Just crazy stuff all year long. And I can't help but imagine in a room this size with this many people together that that triumph and tragedy hit home in so many different ways throughout this year. Yet we're here. And we look back and we can measure that year and how we finish. And I want to just try to encourage some of you guys today as we look at something in Scripture that I believe will help us to pursue a life in Christ that's more fully alive, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the highs and lows in everyday life, the triumphs and tragedies that may go on in our home, in our family, and of course the world around us. Because Jesus said something in the scripture that just bothers me at times whenever I read it. And it's our foundation today is we're going to dig in to what I would call how to live a life that's fully alive. And let's go to God's word in John chapter 10. It's in verse 10. If you have a Bible, open it up to that. If it's on your mobile device, you can go there as well. You can text your friends while I'm talking. You can Instagram. You can Snapchat. You can FaceTime. I don't care. But I'll tell you what. Let's do this and let's have some fun. Are you with me? All right, so here's what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I'm going to go back to the thief in just a few minutes, but let's forget that for right now. But Jesus says in regard to himself, I have come that they, that's you and me and everybody, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I read that. Here's why it bothers me. Because if Jesus himself... The Lord of all, the Son of God, creator of all of creation. If he said, I've come to give you life and give it to the full, I look at my own personal life and I see some gaps. I see some shortcomings with what does a full life look like and what I'm experiencing in my life. But he's come to give us that life. How do we live this? Well, I think, you know, let me just be transparent here for just a moment. I have an addiction that I want to share with you that I've been unable to get past. Every single day, when I wake up, I crave that beautiful warm cup of coffee. Anybody else is like, two people are like, oh, I hear you, brother. I'm with you, man. I'm there. You would say, so here's what you you may think. And if you got to know me, you'd laugh because, you know, uh, forget it. We'll go there another time. But you may think, hey, Scott, you're a pastor. So I would imagine when you wake up in the morning, when your alarm clock goes off, and I'm kind of a, a morning guy, so it does go off quite early. When it goes off, I bet the first thing you do is drop to the floor, get on your knees and pray and seek the face of God to start your day. Sorry, I'm going to let you down already. That doesn't happen. Okay, well, on your nightstand next to your bed and beneath your lamp is your Bible. So you're going to turn your light on and you're going to open it up. It doesn't matter where it lands. It's in Lamentations. You're digging into God's Word to get going. It doesn't happen. 
The first thing I do, my alarm clock goes off after I snooze it once or twice. Just saying. Sorry. I get up. I lay there. I get up. And I'm kind of a little lethargic and foggy. And the first thing on my mind is what? I'm going to make the coffee, man. And I go out into the kitchen and I make my way there. And for me, making coffee is not simply um, a science. But it's a beautiful art. It has to be. Maybe you grind your beans and you get them to a, a certain, you know, coarse or fine, depending on the filter that you're using. And is it a flat filter or is it a funnel shape or what? You know, you got to take that into account. Come on, people. Now, I'm teaching you something here and this is free of charge. Coffee is serious business. And so I go out there and here's my thing. I love just a little bit of 2% milk in my coffee. Not, not whole milk. That would like, you know. That's not good. It can't be fat-free. 2% milk, and I put it in the bottom of my cup, and I put it in the microwave. Now, we just got a different microwave, but before, I'd mic it for 11 seconds. Oh, it was perfect. Now, if I mic'd it for 12, it was too much. 10, it, it would make the coffee cold. Now, with a new microwave, I've got to go 15 seconds. It's like four more seconds of pain until I get to glory. And I'm waiting for this. And because if, I, if, I, if you do the, the milk too hot, here's what happens. It kind of gets that... You pour your coffee and it gets that white floaty stuff on the top. I don't know what it's called. We'll just call it floaty stuff, all right? And it's on the top and it's like, it's horrible. I can't do this. It's got to be perfect. And you're sitting here thinking, gosh, this guy is sick. I hope he has something good to say here in a minute. But it's got to be perfect. And I sit there and I'm kind of like in my zombified state, if you can relate at all. I'm like, oh, where a life. Let me go. I'm going to read, uh, go online, read the news and read my Bible, whatever it is, but I just cannot register and connect until I drink that coffee. So I pour it in the cup and it just suddenly becomes a, a warm, safe, affirming place in life. I know I'm twisted and I hold that cup and I just take the first few sips and it's like, oh, I feel so much better now. I tried to kick it though some years ago. I'm like, I'm going to conquer this thing. I'm going no caffeine. I'm done. So I quit cold turkey. It was actually a New Year's thing, right? How long did those last, last? like January 2nd? But I did it for 14 days. I got all the way through January 14th, no caffeine. I'm, I've gone through the caffeine detox and all that stuff, but I was still craving it. On January 15th, I said, life's too short. I cannot do this. I'm going back to some pleasure in life. And so I've been drinking coffee ever since without shame publicly open about my problem. But have you ever thought this? Like I have, and when it comes to my spiritual life, I think, man, I feel like I'm, someone slipped decaf into my spiritual life. I've got that no caffeine kind of, man, I feel just lethargic, spiritually, no passion, no zeal, no energy, no faith, and I'm just going through the motions. It's like I'm just drinking decaf coffee, and I'm just zombified and, and doing my, my walk with Christ in a very, very decaffeinated way. Or maybe even just for life in general. You ever had those seasons where you're like, gosh, I got to get up. I got to do another day. Well, I want to encourage you, as I encourage myself today, that Christ came and he said that he wants to give us a life that's fully alive. And regardless of what's going on around us, I think for me, I've discovered something in scripture that helps me and I pray it helps you. And here's the first thought. If you're a note taker, you might want to write this stuff down. If you're not a note taker, grab the pen of the person sitting next to you and just write it on the back of the shirt of the person in front of you. And then take a picture with your phone before you leave, okay? So here's the first thought. If we are going to live a life 
that's fully alive, no matter what's going on around us, it's this, to embrace this fact that I have a reason to be alive. I'm here for a reason. I know it's not rocket science, is it? But it's, I'm here for a reason. You and I, we are not mistakes. Here's what God says in Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. Now pause there just for a second. If you're sitting next to someone you know, don't do this to someone you don't know because you don't want to weird them out. But if you're sitting next to someone you know, just look them in the eye right now. Go ahead. It's okay. It's safe. Look them in the eye. Let me read this again. For we are God's masterpiece. Now look back up here and laugh your head off. Isn't that funny? They're God's masterpiece and so are you and so am I. That just speaks volumes to the nature and the character of God himself. We are literally his masterpiece. Wow. And it goes on. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the what? We can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It is just amazing to me that God takes so much care and love and detail about us that he gave forethought to what he wanted your life to look like. A long time ago. That's amazing. When we grasp that reality, that God thought of you, I don't know how long ago, maybe it was thousands of years, maybe it was more, I do not know, but he gave forethought to what he wanted you to do with your life that he's been giving you. The good things he wants to do in our life. Now, I have been confused for a long time. I've gotten clarity in recent years, but I used to get really frustrated about this whole idea of I'm here for a reason. God has a plan for my life, right? You go to church, you hear people say that stuff. God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a destiny for you. He has a vision for your life and on and on and on you go. But then we sit back and go, but what is it? How do I know I'm living out God's plan for my life? Has anybody ever felt that way? Raise your hand if if you're with me on that. Like, what is God's plan for me? Why am I here? Well, I have made an error, I believe, in my own personal theology of God's plan for my life. And maybe... Perhaps you've done the same. And I call it this, that when it comes to God's plan for our life, we often have what I call a first world theology. And the first world theology basically says this, God, I'm sure your plan for my life has to provide a great paycheck for my wife. You've got to monetize this thing somehow, God. I'm sure that your plan for my life would really mean I have a really nice house, a couple nice vehicles, a nice little dog that doesn't bark when people ring the doorbell. My kids are perfect. They're very athletic, but yet they're very musical. And then they're very intellectual at the same time. And life is just a a dream and it's perfect. God, that's your plan, right? And it's kind of this first world consumeristic theology on what we would expect our life to be. But here's here's where I, 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 I had a shift. I'm reading the Bible, and I come across two verses in Scripture. And I think, that's it, right there. That's it. I see it. And I'm going to show you, my suggestion is, I'm going to show you that 90% of God's plan for your life is going to become vividly clear with just two verses of Scripture. Are you interested? Come on, this is a loud and rowdy crowd. You guys want me to share this with you? Here's the deal. You didn't pay a cover charge to get in, man. This is free. This is free, so I'm going to bring it to you. Here it is. It's in Mark, Mark chapter 12. 90%, just to try to measure it somehow, God's plan and purpose for you and for me to remove the mystery, all right? Jesus says this in verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your, and with all your, and with all your, 
And with all your... Now, for those who haven't read the Bible, what I just said and was helped with was love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then it goes on. Jesus says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. He summed it up. 90%. Now, I say 90. The Bible doesn't. But by experience, I'm saying 90% of God's purpose and reason for our life is to make a really big deal about him. To live our life from the place and the posture of the kingdom of God is central to my existence. And my purpose is to make much of Christ and live my life to glorify him in whatever way it looks. And then it's to love my neighbor as, as, as I love myself. Now that's, come on, let's be honest, that's not always easy, is it? I mean, especially on a day like this, my brother to my left and your right is wearing a Niners jersey and we got to love him anyway. I'm telling you, <laughs> on a day like this, we got to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we do that, I'm telling you, the 10% just kind of unfolds and the mystery is removed. God, where do you want me to live? Um, I, you know, maybe God would say, you know, just wherever, but make a big deal about me and love your neighbor as yourself. God, what do you want me to choose as a career path? Well, what are you passionate about? What are you skilled in? What would you love to do for the rest of your life? Go for it. But love me with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. God, what do you want me to go to school? Well, of course, God would say be a sun devil, not a wildcat. But anyway, we'll leave that for another time. Well, God, what do you want me to do? Right? 90% right there. Bam. Two verses. Simplifies everything and removes so much of the mystery. But the other 10%, as you figure it out, that's why you come to Cornerstone and you hear Pastor Lynn teach and other folks to figure out the other 10. We are here for a reason. You're not a mistake. None of us are a mistake. God has a plan. And if we want to live a life that has some life to it, if I could say it that way, that's caffeinated, Sounds a little cliche, but man, if we've got some energy and passion to our life, we've got to start by saying, I am here for a reason, and I'm going to live that out, and I'm going to, I'm going to pursue that. Here's a, another quick thought. Not only am I here for a reason, but you could write this down. I'm here for a season. Just a season. Here's what Scripture says in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5.15, it says, So be careful how you live. Now, let me pause again there and, and say, you know, it is scientifically proven that for you and me, our time on this earth will come to an end. I don't think there's a doctor in the place that would disagree with that. Our time will end. We are here for a season. With that in mind, let's read it. So be careful how you live, in verse 15, not as fools, but as those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. There's an interesting parable in Matthew 25. Jesus is teaching. And if you go and read Matthew 24, 25 in that area, a lot of the context is around the return of Christ and how we are to live in that in-between time. Whether that's in our lifetime or not, we live our life before he returns. How do we live that out? In one of the parables he teaches, which is really a story to, uh, to illustrate a spiritual truth, he says there was this really wealthy guy, had a lot of resources, and he's going to go away for a long time. Before he left, he called in three servants, and he gave one of them, one translation would say, five bags of gold. Another translation may say talents or silver. 
It doesn't matter. But he gave him five bags of gold, and then another guy came in, gave him two bags of gold, and then another guy came in, and he gave him one bag of gold, and Jesus said, all according to their talents or their abilities. It's interesting that my responsibility is not to do what you do when you're more talented than I am. My responsibility is to do what I'm called to do with the talent that I've been given. And he says, here you go, take this. Now I'm going to go away and I want you to invest it and do something with it so that when I return, I'll get a return on my investment. I want some ROI here. So he goes away for a long time and it says that the guy he gave five bags of gold to went out and he's industrious, he's entrepreneurial. He goes out and he works hard and he doubles what he's been given. Ten bags of gold is what he ends up with. The guy that was given two goes out, does the very same thing in a different way probably, but he ends up doubling what he was given. But the guy that had one bag, if you remember the, the account, what's it say that he did with it? He dug a hole, right, and he buried it. He hid it because he was afraid of failure. He was afraid to let the master down. He was afraid to lose what he had been given. So the guy comes back, this master, and he comes in, he calls these servants back, and he calls the guy that he gave five bags to, and, and the guy says, man, I went, I invested what you gave me, and I doubled it, here are ten bags. And the reply is, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been responsible with little things, now I'm going to make you responsible with more. The guy that was given two bags comes in, very same thing, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been responsible with little, now I'll make you responsible for much. Now the guy with one bag, he comes in, and I would just imagine he's coming in, you know, he's kind of quaking in his boots and he's all, he's all afraid and he brings his, his bag of gold in and, and he sets it before the guy and he says, what'd you do with it? And he's like, well, I heard that you're a pretty hardcore guy and you're really crude and, and you demand a lot from people and it's really hard to please you. Your expectations are way too high and so I didn't want to lose what you gave me so I dug a hole and I buried it until you got back. So here, here you go. Now I would think, if it was me and I was in that other guy's shoes, I'd say, well, at least you didn't lose it, right? At least you kept it safe and I didn't lose, I didn't gain, but I didn't lose. But Jesus says some pretty harsh words in this parable. He said that the guy replies and says, you wicked, lazy servant. It's pretty strong. And then he goes on by saying, you should have at least put it in the bank and got some interest. Now, I don't know if it's point zero 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 three percent or what bank he plans on going to to get any interest. But at that time, he says, you should have got some interest. And then he goes on and says some other harsh things to this guy. Check it out sometime. But I think it really correlates to our life, not in regard to how God loves us and forgives us, but the season that we've been given and what he wants us to do with our life. It's like, invest it. Do something with the life that we have been given. You will do something different than me. I will do something different for you than you. But it's only for a season that we've been given. What are we going to do with our life? And if we pursue this life that says, you know what? I'm, I'm here for a reason. I'm here just for a season. Just a glimpse of time on the timeline chart. I need to do something with this. Here's what I would suggest. One is take some more risks. Take some risks. Now, I'm not saying run across the busy intersection. I'm not talking about that kind of risk, all right? But take some risks in the name of Christ. Step out in faith and do something that could do something well for somebody else. I love uh, Matt Damon. He's one of my favorite actors. And he was cast as Benjamin Me a few years ago in a movie called We Bought a Zoo. Anybody ever seen that movie? My favorite quote and moment in the whole movie 
is this. When, when Benjamin, Benjamin Mee says, all you need is 20 seconds. Remember this? All you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, and I promise you something great will come of it. Isn't that cool? All you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, and I promise you something great will come of it. Man, 20 seconds. All you need is 20 seconds of insane faith to step out in obedience to what God's been asking you to do for years. Just step out and trust him. Let the chips fall where they may, but step out and be courageous and do it. Guys, ask her out if you're single, right? (laughs) Girls, it doesn't take 20 seconds to say no. You can do that in three. But 20 seconds of insane courage, maybe your 20 seconds is forgiving somebody who's deeply hurt you. God, I need 20 seconds, man. I'm going to fill me with faith and courage to forgive this person so I can move on. Maybe 20 seconds of insane courage for you is dialing up that phone and talking to someone who you haven't talked to in years. And maybe for good reason. 20 seconds, 20 seconds. And it may, it may blow up. But you know what? You stepped out. You took some risk. At least you're giving it a chance. I say, let's live a life that's taking some risk. It's only for a season. Let's get after it. And I also say, though, I'm not, what I'm not talking about is 120% all the time when we're totally stressed out, beyond our capacity and driving ourselves crazy. No, just take those risks that God puts on your heart. Step out and trust him for it. But at the same time, take it in. Slow down and enjoy things in life. I know this isn't rocket science, guys. And it's not very deep, but gosh, if we would just slow down and enjoy our life, we'd probably be a healthier people. We have uh, two teenage girls in our house, which is crazy. We've got our, our daughter, Ashley, 16. She's driving a car now. Our daughter, Morgan, is 15. She has her driver's permit. So it's, it's kind of, you know, insurance is like, boo and our stress is up high and it's just crazy. And I don't know if you have teenagers or not, but here's something that happens when uh, your girls, that's all I can talk from experience, when they become teenagers, there becomes this public distance that's necessary between you and them. Right? It's at least 10 feet. When we go out in public, I woke up to one of my, you know, our girls are trying to mess with them, put my arm around, hey honey, how you doing? They're like, dad, don't do that. That is not cool. At least that far, do not let them see you. Don't walk with me, okay? Get back there. Okay, walk separately. And it's just funny how that works. Anybody else experience that? There's that distance there. When they have friends over, I'll try to mess with them. I'll, I'll walk up to them, try to give them a kiss on the cheek. Hey, hey, Dad, stop it right now. Dad, come here. Don't do that. You know, that whole kind of deal. So there's this distance. But now our 12-year-old son, Dylan, he's not there. He's, he's really affectionate. And uh, Dylan and I are best buds, man. We do a lot of stuff together. We're always hanging out. We're playing football. We're, we're playing baseball. I've helped coach some of his sports teams. We're going different places together. We're wrestling, you know, we're putting our arms around each other. Very affectionate, very fun. And I realize that it's for a season. He may always be affectionate, but may not always be that affectionate with me, especially as he grows older. There's times I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching Sports Center, the same 10 minute loop eight times, and it's always awesome every time it goes through. But I realize, gosh, I've seen that play eight times. I better, okay, got to be dad, you know? And, and so I realize this is just for a season. It's going to pass. 
In this moment, there may be a day when he wakes up and I walk up to him and I do that, what we typically morning embrace, you know, we just kind of squeeze each other enough to try to start wrestling a little bit, you know, and getting aggressive. And then he'll throw me on the ground and we start wrestling. I get hurt, you know, he's laughing. But that day may come, I walk up to him and give him that squeeze and he kind of slides out of it and walks by. I'll be like, what, what happened? The season has passed. And if I don't seize it and do something with it, I'm going to miss it. Our life is just for a season. We don't know how long our season is. It may be 10 years, it may be 50 years, it may be 30, it may be 100. We don't know, but it's for a season. And when I read a very sobering text in Psalm 39, it really wakes me up. And it says this, Psalm 39, verse 4 and 5. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, that my life is fleeing away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is just a breath. It's but a breath. I read that and it's like, gosh, that's so sobering. This is going to pass. The good news in that is no matter where you are in life, it will pass. The sobering thing is this is going to pass. But here's the cool thought, is when we realize we're here for, for, for a reason, we're not a mistake. We're here for a season. Let's do much with it. But also, we're here, but we'll soon be there. When it passes, for followers of Christ, if that's you, we'll soon be there. Here's what I mean in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 1, then I'm going to go down to verse 5. It says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down. Now check that out. Scripture is referring to you and me, our bodies, as an earthly tent. And for those of us who maybe have lost some functionality of part of our body or part of our tent, just remember, it's just a tent. Maybe the tent you live in, maybe maybe some of the stakes on the corner are pulled up and the wind's blowing. It's kind of, just kind of, it looks like it's going to fall over. Maybe some people have scratch the side of your tent and rip some holes in it or the winds and the rains of life have come down and it's dripping through the top and it's getting wet on the inside. The tent looks like it's ready to fall apart. Just remember, it's just a tent for a season. And for those of you who have the six-pack abs and the buns of steel, it's just a tent, man. It's just a tent. Someday, guys, you're going to look like this. It's over. It's done. It's just a tent. And it says, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, when we die and leave these bodies, we will have a home in heaven. That's God's word. We will have a home in heaven. Isn't that the hope of the Christian faith? A home in heaven. It goes on, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Allow me to have fun for just a moment. I could only speculate, but if God gave us the chance in heaven, giving us this eternal body, not made by human hands, but by God, what if he let us be creative every now and then? One of the things I'd love to do someday in heaven, if, it, if he allowed, I'd say, okay, God, this is so cool. All right, for just, just, a, just a moment, give me the skill, give me the physique of Larry Fitzgerald, all right? Just give it to me right now. Okay, bam, oh, this is cool. All right, where's Kurt Warner? I know he's a believer. Get him over. Will you get Kurt over here? Kurt, give me a pass. I'm going deep, 
throw it high. So I got to like go way up right in the corner of the end zone. I'm pulling it down. Man, let's do this right now. And uh, just living out my fantasy in front of you. Sorry. But what if God let us do that? He's going to give us a body that's made not of hands, but from him. Glorious body. And it's just, it's awesome. So, sorry. I apologize. I'm a big fan. Uh, he says, a home in heaven, eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he's given us his Holy Spirit. Have you ever asked yourself at times in life, surely there isn't, there's more to it than this, isn't there? This isn't all there is, is there? No, New York Knicks fans have been asking that all season long, but I'm talking about real life. Surely there's more to it than this, isn't there? If all we have is we're born we eat, we sleep, we laugh, we cry, we have joy, we have pleasure, we have pain, we have grief, we have relationships, we eat, we have holidays, we go through life, we work like crazy. If all there is is that and then someday it just stops and the lights are turned out and the party's over, is, is that it? But if we look at scripture, we're, we're confronted with the beautiful reality that when our life on this earth is done, it's not lights out, party's over. It's the after party has just begun. It's just started. It's just started. And if we live our life with an eternal perspective, then man, I'm, I'm, I'm here for a reason, yes, and I'm going to figure that all out and make a big deal about it, and I'm here for a season, so I'm going to make it count. But at the end of the day, I'm ultimately going to be there. I can live my life going through the ups and downs with a life that's alive that Christ came to give us. A number of uh, years ago, about three years ago, we're driving my family in our little Honda Odyssey minivan. We're on vacation. And we're driving from Houston, Texas, all the way down to Siesta Key, Florida, south of Tampa. It's about a 13, 14 hour drive. And we're on I-10, headed east. Now, I don't know about you, but when I know I'm on, I'm on vacation, man, I get stoked a few days beforehand. Even though the kind of the work piles up and I've got to work twice as hard, I'm like, I'm going on vacation. This is awesome. This is great. My mood is just even better. And I can't wait to get on vacation. The kids are excited. We're ready to roll. You ever have that pre-vacation pleasurable feeling? Man, some of you don't. You got to, gosh, you got to live a little bit here. It's a beautiful thing. We're going on vacation, and we get in the van, and we start heading east on I-10, and we're driving along. It's fun, man. We're going straight through. We're not going to stop. We're not sleeping over. We're just going to stop for fuel and get some snacks. We got the cooler loaded. We're going to eat on the way. We're driving, and we go through Beaumont, Texas, about, a, about an hour into the drive. And, you know, we're on vacation, man. This is cool stuff. We're driving through Beaumont, and off in the distance, you can see the smokestacks and the oil refineries. And I'm thinking, kids, look at that. Look at all those oil refiners out there. Isn't that awesome? What an amazing science. Do you realize what comes from crude oil? Not only the fuel to get us to Florida, but it's in steel. It's in the fabric in your clothes. Reach in your pocket. Some of your chapstick comes from crude oil. It really does. Awesome. We keep on driving east. And we go into Louisiana. And we drive through what's called the Ashafalaya Swamp Basin. Big place. Really cool. Look, we're driving through, and I'm thinking, hey guys, 
Man, you know what? Look at that out there. Isn't that beautiful? Somewhere out there, uh, that, that TV show that we watch, Swamp People, they're out there right now and they're killing gators. They're putting, they're putting guns at them. They're killing these. They're crazy. I don't know how. It's just, they're out there, man. Isn't that awesome? And they talk different than us. Isn't that awesome? I don't even know what they're saying, but it's so cool. So we keep on going east and then we go into uh, Mississippi. Gosh, there's so much history in this state, much of which we wish we never had, but so much rich history here. Beautiful, plush green, very moist, fertile, beautiful place. We get into Alabama, drive by Mobile, Alabama, and I'm thinking, man, we are in the heart. We're in the bowels of SEC country right here. This is it. The king of the BCS lives somewhere around here. This is a big deal. Beautiful place. Keep on going. Tallahassee, Florida. Beautiful. I mean, north of the panhandle of Florida is gorgeous. The beach is awesome. Make the curve. We drive around down. Go through Tampa. Great city. We get to Siesta Key. We have a blast. We even did the parasailing deal. You know, you go way up and down the thing behind the boat. That was awesome. We had a really good time, met some friends there, stayed on the beach, and it was beautiful. But then, vacation was over. You ever had that feeling? Like, oh man, load up the van, make some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, throw them in the cooler, quit fighting, get in the van, we're heading out here. Oh my gosh, it's a 14-hour drive, this is going to kill me. This is horrible. Oh, when are we going to be home? What's going on? Kids, we're only in Tallahassee, man. We got a long way to go. Get into Alabama. Aren't we sick of the SEC winning the BCS every year? Come on. That's so old news. That's got to change. We go into Mississippi. Gosh, it's humid here. This is horrible. Keep going. Get out of here. Louisiana, driving through the swamp. This is a godforsaken place. Look at this. Nasty, dirty, green stuff floating on the water. Well, what are gators good for other than boots and purses? I don't know. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Beaumont, Texas. That's going to kill us all. It's going to kill us. It's polluting. Don't eat that banana. It's polluted by the oil stuff. Crazy. Back home, the bills, the work. What changed? Same route. Same states, same cities, same view. It was all of our perspective. Just changed. We are living this life, let me say this respectfully and with, with sensitivity. You may be going through a horrible season right now. Even a, a grievous season with tragedy. And I'm sorry. And I'm excited that you're part of a church that cares about you. And this can be a place of healing and hope for you. But even in that, it's just for a season. We are on our way to vacation, guys. We are on our way to a home. And if that Bible is true, we're on our way to a home in heaven that's beyond what we could even think or imagine. So as we pass through the peaks and the valleys of life, and the pain that hits us. Remember, we're just passing through. Let's try to live like we're going on vacation. We're not coming back. We're here for a reason. 
to love God with all our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, to love our neighbors, herself. 90% of God's plan. We're here for just a season. 20 seconds of insane courage. What's your 20 seconds for 2014 that could make the difference? If you go for it and you step out and you say, okay, that guy who I don't know who he was, but he talked about having 20 seconds of insane courage and you went for it and you thought it was God and you fell flat on your face. Let me just say this. I think you win anyway. I think it's more a success to step out and trust God, even if the results aren't what you thought, than sitting on our tail and burying it and not doing anything with it at all. You're, you're, you're winning in my book. 20 seconds of insane courage because we're here just for a season. But we're going to soon be there. We will soon be there. This tent that we wear is going to be shed. And God's going to give us a body and an eternal reality that's beyond what we could even comprehend. The only caveat is what I want to read in John chapter 6. Jesus said this right here. For it's my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life, that I should raise them at the last day. That all who see his Son and believe in him will have eternal life, that I should raise them at the last day. I did say I was going to talk briefly about the thief in John 10.10. The thief is Satan himself. We do have a spiritual enemy. And I couldn't help but think that his ultimate agenda is to steal, to kill, and destroy the reality that we are here for a reason. Because if he can steal your hope and we live hopeless, it's over. And if he could steal the reality that we're here just for a season, let's make much of it, and let us believe that it's going to last forever, it's not. In the worst of days, it will pass. In the best of times, it will pass. Maybe you're sitting here and um, you're just checking out this church or someone brought you, a friend of yours, and or you're here on Christmas Eve and you thought, man, I'm going to go back and check out what this is all about. And maybe you're not really bought into Scripture, the Bible being, being true, or Jesus as the Son of God. I would assume, it'd be fair to say, that you would probably agree that, hey, there is a purpose to our life. Even our psychologists would say, man, we're all trying to grab onto some sort of narrative to make our life have meaning. And you'd probably agree, and if I, well, I'm sure you would agree, that we're here for a season. Scientifically proven, it's only for a short time. But what about the last point? That we're here, but we'll soon be there. What if that's true? What do you do with it? I would say, surrender to it. And ask Christ into your life. I want to pray for you guys. Can I do that? Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. Father God, we're humbled today. We're humbled to be able to sit here and understand even more that God, we're here for a reason. God, you have created us for good works. Works that you've planned for long ago. To love you. To love our neighbors ourselves. Thank you for showing that to us. Help us to live that out. Lord, we, we thank you that it's, it's a sobering thing to, to realize we're here for a season, God. So I pray, I pray for the folks that are here and those listening online today that are going through a painful season, Lord. Lord, I pray for your healing. I pray that you'd pick them up, God, and, and make them strong again. Lord, I also pray that you'd remind us that it will pass, that we are here just for a certain time. And God, I pray that 
you would remind us that we are created for eternity and to live for you. And we're here, but we're going to be there someday. And we're going to shed this earthly tent and we're going to be with you. And God, who knows what that's going to be other than it's going to be what your word says. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. With our heads bowed and our eyes still closed, I want to I ask you a question if you'd allow me to do that. The, the question is just this. Do you know Christ? Do you have a friendship, a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God? And maybe you're sitting here and you don't. I want to encourage you to talk to him today. The Bible does say whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want to lead us all in a prayer as a family. And this prayer is simply calling out on God, saying, God, I want you in my life. Uh, forgive me of my mistakes. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a child of God. Show me my purpose for living and help me live this season for you. But ultimately, I want to be with you in eternity. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't know Christ, pray this with us. And for the family here at Cornerstone, let's all pray this. Let's pray this out loud together. Say, Father God, today I surrender to you. Thank you, I'm here for a reason. It's just for a season. But make my life about you. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. You died on the cross for me. You've risen from the dead. Forgive me of my mistakes, of my sin. Make me your child. Fill me with your spirit. Help me live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's put our hands together and celebrate for the folks that maybe prayed that prayer right here, right now, for the very first time. Congratulations. Way to go. We're, man, we're excited for you. I want to say this before I turn over to Barrett in just one second. Um, you're at a church that really cares about your next step as a brand new follower of Christ, if you made that decision. And I, I threw something in my pocket I want to point out to you. Uh, it's in the seat back in front of you. It's that deal that says, I said yes to God. Here's what... Here's what's important about that. Um, Cornerstone wants to know that you made that decision. Why? Because they want to come alongside you and help you live this thing out. Because you're going to have a lot of questions. What do I do now? What does this all mean to be a follower of Christ? What spiritually just happened to me? What is my reason for being here? What's all that about? They want to help you with that. And so if you could just tell them about yourself by filling out this little piece on the bottom, and then you just tear it off real easy, and the bucket goes by in a minute, throw it in there. Let them give you a holler and say hi and introduce themselves. We'd love for you to do that. Hey, guys, give them a hand for asking Christ in their life. You guys are awesome. Barrett, over to you, my friend. Appreciate you.